Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we are going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. I am super excited for you to join me here today. It's Meg Fora. As usual, we are going to be talking to, well, sometimes we speak to a mum and sometimes we speak to a um, professional, another baby expert. And today we've got our favorite guest back with us, Cassidy. She is mum to little Max. And and for those of you who have not been following Cassidy's journey, it is really an absolute must. And particularly if you've got a very little baby. Cass and I spoke for the first time when Max was just a week old. She had gone through his birth and we have literally, and he was actually in ICU at the time, which was a whole nother story. That was a bit of a curveball. And we've been speaking ever since. So welcome back, Cass. As usual, it is absolutely wonderful to have you here with us. Thank you for having me back. It feels like a while since we last chatted, but yeah, because Max is now 18 months. So Yeah, isn't it incredible? I mean, it's hard yeah. to think that we've been following his journey for so long. And it's super exciting because Max is going to be a big brother. <laughs> yes, we're going to go through it all again. Well, we'll have to take up on what it's like to juggle the balls of two kitties because that's a whole nother story. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how different they are because mm. you never get two the same from what I understand. So, yeah. <laughs> which makes me quite nervous because Max has been actually really good in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no, they, and they very often are super different. I mean, in fact, just before Max was born, you attended the Baby Sensory Personality course. And moms, if you haven't done that, it is worth doing. It's inside the Parent Sense app called Baby Sensory Personalities. And I can remember us really hoping and praying, or you hoping and praying, that he would be a settled baby. And maybe just for reference, has Max been a settled baby? What would you say now that you know him well? Now that, not only now I know him well, but now I've also seen friends who have had other babies. I think as a baby baby, he was definitely settled, definitely a settled baby. But I think as he has grown, he's becoming a sort of settled social butterfly. Which is exactly what they (laughs) Um, do. So he, I mean, even this morning we were at the florists and he was leaving and he's high-fiving everyone and he was leaving and just saying bye. (laughs) Sweet. It's very precious. But you know that that is how it often works. I don't know if you can remember when we did that um, sensory personality um, talk that the sensory profile where settled babies and social butterflies belong is actually the same threshold. So the threshold is very high for sensory information. A lot can be going on that won't phase them. And so they end up being super settled. And then at some point, their sensory system wakes up and goes, hold on, there's a whole lot of exciting stuff out there. I need to engage. I need to be part of it. And they become much more social. And so he is that little stroke social butterfly, which is very precious. Yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's totally exhausting. Oh my gosh. And you are at the most exhausting phase. I think I told you, in fact, I remember telling you that my hardest stage with all of my kids was nine to 18 months because they are busy and they have got they don't understand their limitations so you can't sit down for one minute 
and you don't understand them that's another really he talks away but I've gotten very I mean I'm getting better at understanding his own personal language but it's challenging because there's no communicate you know no two-way communication more importantly there's no negotiation (laughs) his way or the highway yeah um so I mean we have certainly started having temper tantrums which is awful because you have to try really hard not to laugh (laughs) which I know that sounds incredibly cruel but he really does not need me laughing in that moment but sometimes they are the most ridiculous we went to Waitrose yesterday and this is something I've really noticed has been recent which has been a real wake-up call for me I think I always assumed he's a baby so he's not going to remember places and what happens in those places. So for example, the other day we walked past a field and honestly, it was about four days before we'd walked past that field and there'd been a tractor in it and he's obsessed with tractors. Mm -hmm. And we walked past the same field four days later and he started pointing to the field, making tractor noises. He knew that that field, Mm -hmm. there had been a tractor and he wanted to see the tractor again. And that was my first moment where I thought he's starting to remember places and yeah. recognize places, even having just seen them once. And then yesterday we went to Waitrose and we walked past the handheld scanners yes. that they have in the shop. And we obviously always get a scanner when we go, but I was just rushing in, grabbing something and rushing out. The meltdown that we were not <laughs> getting a scanner <laughs> because he likes to hold the scanner yeah. while we go around yeah. the shop. Although he also, as we go around and I pick up a new item, he shouts at me to scan it. <laughs> so, luckily, I'm not a thief, but if I was, uh, that career would be over. <laughs> Incredible. So he no, really I mean, they, to recognize things. Yeah. And it's quite incredible because he's 18 months old and he's a bright little boy. So that as it actually shouldn't surprise us that he's doing that because babies are incredible. I mean, little babies, and there's some fabulous science experiments that have been done with this, where they showed babies, for instance, a whole lot of cups with a ball underneath a certain cup. And when babies, when you put the cup down on the ball and you lift it up in the balls there, the babies are happy. You put the cup down on the ball and if the, if you pick it up and the ball isn't there and they can trick the babies, the babies become quite distressed by things that where there isn't the logic that they're expecting. And so they start oh. to form these little rules in their mind of what they expect. And they start to do it really, really young. I mean, they are truly little scientists. Yeah. And then as we were coming back to the car, once I dealt with that particular situation, distraction, distraction, as yeah. we were coming back to the car, we walked past the trolleys and that was another, but we haven't used a trolley and we're leaving waitress. I haven't sat in the trolley. <laughs> you and have this set other, paradigm. <laughs> this other mother walked past to hear me going, I'm, Max, we're not going in a trolley today. We'll go in the trolley next time. <laughs> and it's just, you know, but so there is a form of negotiation, but it's just, yeah. Um, yeah, he understands everything I say. I just don't necessarily understand everything he's saying um, or why. So how many- and how many words does he have out of interest? Do you know, I've never actually counted them. And and also, okay, let's let's start by talking actual words or words that I know exactly. No, what words saying. that you know what he's saying, yeah. He's probably got quite a lot in his repertoire now. He says hot and cold, finished, bye, hello. He's got names for everyone. That's tractor amazing. is also okay. <laughs> we know tractor. And then he's got noises for like he'll do all so when he sees an animal, he'll do all the right noises for the right animals and That's things amazing. like that. So that's wonderful. Um, and he the we taught him sign language for please and thank you mm. quite early on. And it's a bit frustrating because I now know that he probably could say 
please and thank you but uh, when you say say please and thank you he just does the sign language yeah. I don't know I'm sure that will come it will um, and yeah. he started when you whenever you ask him what color is this everything's blue <laughs> So, so if I'm he trying to show off, colors, Cass, I do have to tell you. <laughs> if I'm trying to show off, I just put a blue thing in front of him and ask, "What color is this?" And everyone goes, "Wow, he's a genius!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is fabulous. Well, he's coming up now for a language explosion, which starts usually at around eighteen to nineteen months. And when the language explosion comes, it's just incredible. The words just tumble out day after day. There's just a whole lot more new words coming out. So. He will be, I mean, certainly by the time he's two, he's going to have a very, very wide repertoire of words. Well, this morning he was honestly just chatting away and he has such a serious face when he's telling me something. So I just have to look at him and go, really? <laughs> well, you know, I love that you mentioned that because that's um, what we call serve and return. And serve and return is just so critically important. And if anybody's interested in it, go and Google it. Go and have a look at the Harvard Center for the Developing Child. They've got a whole lovely section on, on serve and return. And we'll probably tag it in the show notes as well. But serve and return is where somebody says something and then you wait and the other person replies and there's these responses. So it's kind of like a tennis ball going backwards and forwards between players. But I think what often happens, and this is where communication can go wrong, is when parents are not actually listening out and trying to make sense or not giving airtime to their children. And this is certainly isn't a guilt trip on any parent because I'm a parent of three. I know what it's like to not give my children airtime. And actually, when they're teenagers, to get into a lot of trouble for not giving them airtime, <laughs> like you're not listening. So, I mean, we've all done it. But it is if, if we can parent consciously and try and find those connections and find those words. And, you know, if he says a word that is, really not quite similar to more but it's kind of a supper time and you think it might have been more then actually repeat back more so that he yeah. actually gets that sense that you're listening and you're saying something back to him and then you're listening to him again for, to see if he'll then say it back to you and that's how you're going to start to see that language explosion and actually that brings me on to something that I've wondered in the past because I read somewhere that if you say because obviously most things we say can you say whatever mm. and then he'll say it and it won't sound anything like the word but he's yeah. tried and I read somewhere that you shouldn't correct them like that is that they are trying so you shouldn't say no no it's whatever mm. but then the other part of me thinks but then I'm not teaching him that that's not how you say it so which is the right approach yeah it's very very interesting the right approach is to correct but to not correct them to tell them that they've done it incorrectly but just to reiterate it correctly so if he says tactor tactor for tractor you say yes that's a tractor yeah okay you know so you're saying yes you've got it so that he doesn't feel like he's getting things wrong but I definitely do think it's important to start the articulation going correctly and actually Interestingly, I look back, I, I have the benefit of hindsight now with having adults and older children, older teenagers and adults, where I do think that there were times when I didn't correct their grammar because it was so cute and I wanted <laughs> it to stay just like that. And actually it ended up being things that um, disadvantaged them later on when they got into the school going age. So I do think correcting them is correct. Another debate that comes up is whether or not you should use um, diminutive words like um, kitty instead of cat or things like that I mean that's a bad example because kitty is fine but there are words when, where we kind of use words that really aren't words for things like woo woo for a dog and that's yeah. woo is not a dog and I do think that we should rather be correcting children and saying speaking correctly so that's not to say that we shouldn't use baby talks I suppose here we would differentiate between baby talk and using incorrect words and then baby talk and parentese so 
baby talk and parent tease is that slightly high-pitched voice that we use with our little ones like come here my love oh you're looking so gorgeous today these kind of that kind of sing-songy slightly high-pitched voice is a really good thing for little ones because it's attractive to their hearing it, it, it attracts them in it helps them to listen to you but what isn't fabulous is to go hello my goochie goochie you know make a whole like all the words that are not actually words then rather use the proper words but use a tone that's attractive Okay. And it brings me another um, point about tone Mm. Um, because we are also at the stage where we are having to, and I use the term discipline loosely, but I know we've recorded in the past Mm. where we've spoken about discipline not being the right thing, but we are Mm. at an age now where I am having Mm. to, Mm. and I'm trying very, very hard to do the ABC approach on Mm. nearly every single one. But the issue with Max is that I will give the choice and I'll always try and do something I don't think he wants, one that is not what he's doing, but is preferable. And Mm. for example, he got some new building blocks the other day and he was throwing the building blocks and we tried Mm. to discourage him throwing his toys. So I was saying... I know that you're because he was sort of he does it when he's a bit overexcited or if he's mm. usually when he's excited or frustrated is when he starts to throw things. I said, I know that you're frustrated, but we don't throw our toys. So you can either you can play with the toys and stop throwing them, or I take the toys away. Mm-hmm. He helped me pack up the toys. The discipline worked really well. And now, for example, we also have a timeout area that he can go and chill. And sometimes we do it as part of a discipline. And sometimes it's just if he's getting upset, I say, let's go and sit on timeout and just have a bit of time Mm -hmm. so that it's not always horrid place. It's just for Mm -hmm. him to go and calm down. Mm -hmm. And the other day I said something like you, you know, the choice was you have to stop doing that or you'll have to go and sit on timeout Mm -hmm. because there wasn't really another option. Mm And he just took himself to time out. <laughs> interesting. It's so and interesting. He always takes himself. Yeah. He's yeah. quite happy to do the thing that I think yeah. is quite unappealing. <laughs> well, you know what's quite interesting? I mean, first of all, a lot of people listening to this will be fascinated by the fact that you have a timeout for an 18-month-old because it is little for an 18-month-old to have a timeout space. I think it's very important to make the point that timeout is used in two situations. And I, Cass, I know that you and I have spoken about this, but I think for reference for other mums, it's important to talk about it. So time out can be literally a time out, like just give me time out. And that is very, very important for little ones, which is why I love the fact that he does have that. And potentially that's exactly what he needed in that moment was just to go to time out, to sit quietly and to actually just spend some time on his own without any other form of negative discipline. So I don't think the fact that he sent himself off there or took himself off there is actually not a negative. It's a positive. It doesn't mean the time out's not working. It means that it actually is working because he's going there. And interestingly, I mean, it's not for all children, and there'll be lots of moms listening who say there's no way my kid will do that. But my firstborn was very like Max. In fact, people used to be quite fascinated with the fact that I would say to Jane, you absolutely can't do that. So, you know, timeout should be used in one of two circumstances. One is when they're totally overstimulated and need timeout, and the other one is where they're doing something that is such a firm boundary that can't be crossed, like in the case of James that time, I think he was breaking something in the kitchen or he was hurting one of the dogs and I could see it was going to be a dangerous situation. And I said, we're going to time out. And he actually went quite happily. And then he would sit there and I never had a rule around him coming out. If he wanted to come out and he'd calmed down and he had said sorry and things and he moved on from what he was doing, 
it wasn't punitive and it just worked as a reset. And so if that's how it's working for Max, I think that's perfectly positive because what you're ending up with there is that either he's going because he's overstimulated or he's going because he actually needs a reset. And when he comes out, he's moved on from the behavior. And the the times that I use it are actually when I can identify he's overtired Mm. or he's overexcited. For example, we had somebody round and He'd been absolutely fine. And then daddy walked into the room and he got really excited that daddy was in the room. And so we were all there together. And he just started picking up anything that was in his sight and just like chucking it. But it was just like, I've got so much excitement. I don't know what to do with it. He even, he's got a little mini hoover. He like picked the hoover up and, and I was like, oh. oh my gosh. So I had, to, so I took him and I sat with him in timeout and I just took him away from the situation. I said, let's just go and sit in timeout. And he came back and he was absolutely fine. So I do try to use timeouts as if, and if I'm using it in an ABC approach, I try and use it in the times when I know him leaving this. If he can't stop doing what he's doing, then mm-hmm. it's because he's overtired or something and he actually mm-hmm. just needs to leave the situation. But there are other times when, and I suppose when you talk about him being too very little for a timeout, there are other times when it is, like you were saying with James, what is the alternative because he's not listening to no he just can't do that mm. and there isn't really a choice here mm. there isn't an abc available yeah. so how do you yeah. stop an 18 month old doing yeah. this episode is brought to us by parent sense the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby when to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. Well, so I want to actually pick up on two things you've spoken about. The one is the ABCs, because there will be people who don't know what those are. And I'm I'm going to come back to that. But I just want to really center around something that you've said that is so, so important. We've only got a few limited things that we can do to stop negative behaviors. And kind of 50 years ago, that would have been a smack. And it would have been it would have been corporal discipline. And there are times when I understand why people felt they had to do that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so because you you can go there in your head for sure. And so. comparing something like timeout which is a separation and a removal from a situation to something like a smack it's an utterly obvious thing for anybody who's even listening to this that that is preferable and so I can't think of any reason why using timeout if if they're if they are cognitively at a point where they can understand it and Max certainly is at 18 months and he is quite advanced in terms of the way his thought processes work. I mean, I've I've seen that. You'll get other little ones who are 18 months, are a lot younger. And I had three children, all very different in that respect. But he is able to get it together. He feels better once he's been in and out of it. And he also doesn't feel like it's coming from you in a way that's done out of extreme anger and is damaging because he wouldn't just be popping off there. So I think the fact that it works, the fact that you're doing it is perfectly all right. And I think for moms who are listening and are feeling at a, their wits end about the 18 months old behavior, and they're going to be every single one who's got an 18 month old will be feeling like that. This is a really good option um, because it is something that just removes them from the situation and that can be used to extinguish behaviors without the negativity of something like corporal punishment or anything. So yeah. I try at the end 
of it and as you say we're similar he doesn't have a set time that he has mm. to sit there or anything like that although if he sometimes just gets up immediately and comes back I'll go mm. and take him mm. and just be like no no we're doing time now yeah. but then at the end of it I try and go down to his level and tell him why that was why he went there um mm. in a very calm way and just said you know how you can't do that and then he exactly. is gives yeah. me a hug and we say, hug. Exactly. say sorry and I'll give yeah. a hug and that's also very important. Any form of discipline, however it materializes, has to be met with acceptance and love and cuddles and co-regulation afterwards. That's very, very important. And I think that's where there are these different attachment styles that get spoken about in psychology. And when you get the negative types of attachment styles, um, it's often because children don't know how to read their parents. And they're never certain that when they come out of that timeout, are they going to be ignored are they going to be further chastised so and I think it's very important that we move on from emotions quickly once we've sorted out what once they've had their time out it is back to love and cuddles and um, connecting emotionally with them it is very important and that doesn't mean that there isn't another option for discipline like love and cuddles and distraction you spoke about it like when you walked out of the shops and he wanted that trolley and he's throwing a temper tantrum you're not going to put him in time out for that you're going to distract him and try and get him to move on to something else quite quickly once you've spoken him through it so time out is not for everything but um, it certainly is for breaking things for hurting people for damaging things that so time out is a very good option and the reality but I think also it sounds like when I'm talking about it, it sounds like I'm doing all the right things but he's still not like he'll still always throw I'm still yeah. not getting through to him that we don't throw so what if he stop him throwing in that moment yeah but he will pick something up and throw it again two days later or a day or whatever, whenever that mood. So is that just something we just have to ride out? He will just continue to throw things while he can't process emotions or is there something I can do to stop that? I think we also need to go back to why he's doing the throwing. There's potentially one or two reasons. One is that he's looking for attention. And the other one is that he's looking for sensory input, which is like he's super excited, doesn't know what to do with his body. So I'll throw. And that's very, very common. That if, I, if my emotions exceed what I'm able to manage, I then move into a physical movement, which is what toddlers do. And, and they might bite another child, hit another child, throw a ball or throw something. And so I think we've got to understand that there could be a sensory aspect to this. And so maybe another potential option is to actually have a little basket of balls in the room that when he starts to throw something, we say, Max, ABCs. So let's talk about the ABCs now because it has come up. A stands for acknowledge. B stands for boundary. C stands for choice. So I know you're excited to see dad. That's our A, acknowledge. B is our boundary. We don't throw blocks because we'll hurt somebody. We don't throw the truck. We don't throw the vacuum cleaner because we'll hurt it. So you've got a choice. We can either go into timeout or you can throw a ball. And then you give him something that is socially acceptable. And I think having that kind of socially acceptable balls, shall we go outside and throw a ball for the dog? We can throw something. So then knowing that actually it's feeding his need for the, on the sensory level for the throwing, but he's just doing it in a socially acceptable way. So we don't throw blocks, but we do throw balls. And they will, he'll be able to start to categorize like that as well. You mentioned actually in their hitting. Mm. And it's something that has started if he's, for example, the other day he needed a nappy change and he was playing downstairs. He'd done a poo, so daddy picked him up, said, come on, let's go and change your nappy. He didn't want to go upstairs and change his nappy. Too busy. So he hit daddy in the face. Yeah. Or we've had occasions where he has been picked up by my sister who we hadn't seen for a week and she's really pleased to see him picks him up he's sort of going well I'm not ready for you to come and pick me up I've just woken mm. up and so he hit my sister I can identify 
what's causing him to do it but it's all very well being able to say that but there's how how do we explain to him you just don't hit i understand what you're going through and how you what you're trying to do but that doesn't mean yeah. it's okay yeah so immediately hitting is no. yeah. an absolute no so immediately put him down and go down on his level so there are two aspects to this one is that if he's just woken up and your sister's picked him up and she's in his face and it's just all too much for him. I think that there it's very important to recognize his state mm. and say to him, I can I can see you, you, you're just waking up. Come to mommy for a cuddle and then you can go back. So I think there are aspects where you don't really want to go into necessarily discipline where actually that was a fairly challenging situation mm. for him. But daddy changing his nappy is not a fairly challenging situation. He, he needs to go upstairs and have his nappy changed. So I would immediately put him down if I was daddy and take his hands and put them together at his midline and you're down at his eye level. So you're holding his hands, you're at his eye level and you say, we don't hit. And so you immediately go in with no. And then I know that you want to play with your toys. We have to change your nappy. Now we can do it upstairs or we can do it downstairs or we can take your toy with us. Find a toy we'll take with us to go and change your nappy. So find a middle ground that he can live with. But the immediate reaction to something like hitting, it does have to be quite a standstill in your tracks. And this is going to be something that will come up. And I can tell you that when you and I chat in six months time and we have a little sibling, that this is going to be something that comes up because hitting a sibling of three weeks old, who's got an open fontanelle is an absolute no-no. And it is something that comes up with these little ones. So, cause he's overexcited because everybody's paying him or her attention, whatever it is, there's going to be a situation like that. So we do need to nip those ones in the bud and then potentially, yeah, try and get a distractor that he'll accept. Yeah, we're starting to try the kind of introduction of, I mean, he knows that there's a baby in mummy's tummy and he gives kisses and cuddles to the baby. And whenever, if I, if I like I'm getting changed, as soon as my tummy's on show, he'll be like, baby. <laughs> He's going to be really confused when it's no longer just mummy's tummy. Um, but, and yesterday we were with a friend and they had a baby and I sat with the baby in front of Max and he didn't seem to bat an eyelid yet, but obviously that will change. So, we're trying to ease the whole transition and let him know and keep talking to him, but we definitely will have to speak we'll, before. We'll connect, definitely. <laughs> before the baby arrives for yeah. all the strategies. Yeah. Um, before we finish mm. off, how's his sleep going? Because 18 yes. months, we can often have see a little sleep hiccup. Oh, we have seen a sleep hiccup. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sleep has been one of those things where he's definitely gone through a regression but there's also quite often something we've had a lot of movement so we've moved house twice in the last few months mm. we've been away on holiday in that time the heating is broken in our new house so it's oh, probably no. <laughs> so we've had lots of challenges which haven't helped the sleep thing but on nights that I still can identify, that, on nights I can identify what the issue is, I'm not too worried. But there have been nights where seemingly there is no issue. I'm literally trying to find as much wood as possible because it does seem to have got a bit better. But there was a period where we were up for two hours in the middle mm. of the night and he just, we could not leave the room mm. I tried to do I tried to go right back to what I did when he was four months old and do the controlled crank going in shushing him calming him then walking out leaving him a few minutes going back 
three hours later, Alex found me sobbing on the landing yeah. <laughs> because it was, I was so tired and I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. Yeah. And it got to the point where we were almost having to fall asleep on the floor next to the cot holding his hand, but it would still take two hours for him to settle. Mm. And it just mm. was exhausting and relentless. And then the next night he possibly could sleep through completely. Yeah. And there, was, there just seemed to be no rhyme or reason why some nights he was doing it and some nights he wasn't. Yeah, so, okay, so a couple of things. As always with sleep, we always start off with the basics and the organic. So let's just stick, stick with the organic for this. So we start off with health. He's 18 months old. He's exposed to animals. Has he been dewormed? No. Okay, so deworming is something that needs to happen now at this stage. And we're not looking for big fat tapeworms and horrible big things. We're looking for tiny little things called pinworms. And they are tiny, innoxious, and, and they really are something that's super common. And it's interesting because when mothers hear worms for the first time, they freak out. Like, how can my child have worms? But actually, all toddlers will have worms. And particularly if there's animals in their vicinity. But even if they're just digging in a sandpit at a park, they're likely to pick up worms. The FDA in America has approved the um, deworming medications from two years old, but in South Africa, as an example, in Red Cross Children's Hospital, we deworming for, from as young as a year old. So there's nothing wrong with deworming. All you do need to do is just go into, well, there's two options for deworming. The one is an over-the-counter medication and the other one is a prescription medication. You need to ask your doctor for the one and the other one you just get over the counter. I would deworm him. How does the worm thing work with sleep? So what happens is that the worms deposit little eggs that travel down the alimentary canal and they actually hatch on the anus at night. And I mean, this is disgusting, but actually literally I've seen it where you can actually shine a torch on, on the anus in the middle of the night and you can actually see these little things. And, they, and they're not, they don't cause any nutritional problems. They don't cause any major health problems and they just need to be dewormed. So step number one, a hundred percent, you do need to deworm him. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing is diet, because that also forms part of the basics. We need to make sure he's having a robust diet. Toddlers, it can be tricky. Is he eating fresh air and love, or is he a good eater still? No, he's a very good eater. Okay, great. He's always been a good eater. Well, traditionally, mainly been a good eater, so that's great. He's probably going to go through a picky eating stage at some point, but don't worry about that. But that's great. And just make sure he's got nice iron in his diet as well, and some nice fatty acids and oily fish as well. So those two things work quite nicely. So that's his diet and his health. I mean, other than that, the only other health things that I would point out that often happen around this age are snotty noses, which then lead to um, glue ear. And what happens there is that the all the thin, snotty, white, clear mucus that runs out the nose on a normal day, on a snotty day for a toddler, because they all ha have them, then starts to clog up. It runs into their eustachian tubes, and which is all connected to their sinuses, and then it can't get back out. It clogs up and it becomes a bit thick, and it causes what we call glue ear, and that can cause them to wake at night, and that just needs a little bit of a decongestant. So those are the, the two main health things that you need to work out is, is if he's got glue ear and if he needs to be dewormed. And I would start there because going into sleep training or anything like that without having done that is, is mm. pointless. The next thing we always look at, obviously, is the sensory, what's going on in his sensory world. And so it's important that he's having his day sleep. And I'm going to come back to day sleep just now, even though little ones can start to think about dropping their day sleep between two and five years old. It's a very wide range of normal. Um, but we do want them to have a midday rest. And also just not completely overstimulating him, um, particularly at the end of the day, is also important. Then we move on to sleep hygiene. So that's something that you and I should also be doing. No blue light before bedtime. So that's no TV after 4 p.m. and no screens. We want to make sure that he's got good sleep hygiene as well. Dark room, all of that type of thing. 
And then his day sleep routine is really important. And this is often where um, the problem comes. So if he's having two hours or more, but if he's having two hours of midday sleep, sometimes that'll disrupt nighttime. And we'll see it, it's similar to when I spoke to you about cusp ages at nine months and 12 months. What happens is they either fight bedtime. So instead of falling asleep happily at seven, they push it out to eight, or they pull morning forward. So instead of waking at six, they wake at five or four, or they do a two hour stint in the middle of the night. And so for that, you need to pull his midday sleep back to 90 minutes and see how that makes an impact. So if I were you, I would start there. I wouldn't be going down the whole route of any controlled crying or sleep training or anything. I would just be starting with the basics because you probably get it right without anything else. The only other thing I would like to mention is just separation anxiety because it comes around about this age that they develop an, an imagination. And particularly as language comes, their brains start to kind of see things pictorially in their mind. And so where before babies don't have nightmares, now suddenly they do. So it could be that he's waking up and something looks scary in the room, even though there's nothing there. The old story of the dressing gown on the back of the door type thing. But I mean, he can wake and it's a sudden scream like... He's. Yeah. He, it sometimes does sound like he is absolutely terrified. And is he awake when you when you walk in then? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Like he, as okay. soon as he's you walk in, nightmares. he's climbing yeah. into your arms. Yeah. So he's like yeah. trying to yeah. get so out then, of So then he's having nightmares and that'll also be a problem. So have you got a nightlight now? We used to have one and then he now has always been in pitch black. Mm. But we do nice. have. What we always say about nightlights is no nightlights when they're babies, because except when you're breastfeeding, obviously you need a bit of light. But other than that, no nightlights because it just alerts them when they wake up. But from this age, we now do start to have a nightlight again. And that's for imagination. So that's the other piece that you can look at doing as well is just having a little nightlight and then just when he wakes, just handling it with deep pressure, putting your hands on him, stroking his head, comforting him until he falls back to sleep. And using something like white noise can also help you with getting him back to sleep at that time. So because when we go in, he is literally crawling onto us, trying to get out the cot. And so we've been bringing him into the chair. The only way to quieten him down is to just Mm -hmm. sit with him in the chair. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I always have in the back of my mind, I don't want him to fall asleep in my arms because I don't want that to become a habit. habit. But actually, if he's not right on the verge of sleeping and I try and put him down then we're not gonna we're not getting anywhere he'll two minutes later be screaming again so I would be giving him love and cuddles and comfort and then putting him back down and then actually sitting with him with a chair right next to his cot with your arm through it stroking his head rather than sitting in the chair because it's just going to be easier for you in the long run you don't really want to getting into the rock to sleep and holding to sleep too much because it can cause habits and particularly with a new baby coming it's not really what you want so I would take him out I would give him love and cuddles I would comfort him I would then put him back down and sit with him so mommy's going to sit with you and just put your hand through and just stroke his head until he falls back asleep as well Um, and give him that comfort Mm. that's a really good point you say there as well because I know when they're babies, we don't talk to them when we go in, but he understands things now. So yes. I'm not, I've am not i not known, do I speak yes. to him 
Or do I just go with the silence? No, you give them comfort. Did you have a scary dream? Was it not nice? Come, mommy's here. Would you like some water? Give him a little sip of water. Yeah, he downs water every time. We always take water. I don't know if he's just doing it to be like, look, there was something. (laughs) (laughs) No, so so I would definitely give him a little bit of water and then just sit down next to him and just stroke his head. And in that water, I would put about three or four drops of rescue remedy as well. Just just calms them down at this age. And there's a lot going on them and also the amount that he's learning at the moment that also causes them to wake at night and to have the dreams there's a lot of reasons as you can hear I mean we, I mean we've just spent like five ten minutes going through a lot of reasons yeah. so it's kind of going back to the tick boxes if you've done the sleep sense course which I think you have so any other mom if you haven't done the sleep sense online course which is inside the parent sense app go and do it it'll take you through all those principles again kind of step by step yeah, because it does feel like we've always done everything by the book <laughs> and now, <laughs> because we've done all the sleep sense yeah. stuff. Um, and now, but as I say, I do think it's improving, but it's just unfortunate we've had mm. these heating issues. So it's been really cold and yeah. um, you know, trying to sort all of that. There's just always been something. but yeah. And just before the heating broke, the radiator in his room started making really loud noises suddenly in the middle of the night, which would have scared oh. him for sure. Yeah. So... Anyway, and we're going to fix the heating after the weekend. So. <laughs> Just yes. when it starts getting really hot. I know, I was about to say, yeah. next week's going to be lovely and warm, so you're not going to need it anyway. But Murphy's Law. Oh, Cass, yeah. as usual, I have loved chatting to you. And I know our mums really love hearing your stories because it articulates so much of what they're going through as well. So thank you for joining us again. It was a fabulous thank session. You. Thank and you. And enjoy your gorgeous boy. And we'll chat to you closer to the birth of number two. Indeed, indeed. Not long. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks for the chat, Cass. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.